Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we often as Christians talk about the abundance of God's grace. It's a wonderful thing to consider. God's grace, right? The favor that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Which means if it's because of Christ that God has favor upon us, it's not something we deserve, right? So this grace that God has upon us, he lavishes. We talk about that. We're Christians, right? We want to talk about God's love for us. But we need to consider just how great this love is. There's not anything that we can really do to quantify it. So I haven't done for you some sort of supernatural math. Uh, Your pastor doesn't get extra math skills by going to the seminary. Uh, But what I can show you is that from this wedding of Cana, we have an insight into just how great Jesus's love is for us, his people. And we can understand then, since we know Jesus, that we also can know the Father and the Father's love for us. So Cana was a small village that even to this day, there's still a debate about where it is. So we know that it wasn't very significant, but Jesus's mother is there. She had received an invite to this wedding, so perhaps relatives, who knows? But Jesus and his disciples also receive the same wedding invitation, and they meet his mother there. And at this wedding, Jesus performs his first miracle, which is kind of an oddity. It doesn't really do anything to benefit somebody's health or healing, right? And yet the glory of God is known by this, and his disciples end up believing in him from this miracle, So it is significant, but it's not like our typical blind man sees, mute man speaks, deaf man hears, lame man walks, right? This is something different. It's a unique miracle. So in this first miracle, Jesus takes water, no small amount of water, uh, anywhere from between 120 to 180 gallons. Let's just go with the 180 gallon mark because Jesus is very generous. And that is equal to about 900 bottles of wine. I don't know if any of you have thrown a party lately, but 900 bottles of wine is a lot, okay? It's going to last you a while if you can even finish it all. Now, this is a party in a small village, right? So perhaps maybe they had the whole village there, but it's still 900 bottles is excessive. Even if the wedding lasted for a full two weeks, how long had they already been going? We don't know. Yet, This is an idea, again, of just how much Jesus gives. So, it already seems like a big waste to make that much wine when probably they didn't need it. They had already drunk freely. But then we find out that it's even a greater waste. And maybe I've not preached it this way before, but I want you to hear and focus on what that master of the feast ends up saying he says he calls the bridegroom after he tastes this delicious stuff that jesus had made and he said everyone serves the good wine first and when people have drunk freely then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now all right so a lot of people say wow it's really good wine and they focus on the really good wine part but the master of the feast is scolding this young fellow getting married You idiot! Why did you keep the good stuff? We can't taste it anymore. 
You, 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 have, you have shared the greatness of this wine with us at a point in the wedding when it's not as delicious as if this would have been the first thing I tasted, right? You're not going to go to the restaurant and buy a $4,000 or $10,000 or $100,000 bottle of wine at the very end after you've drank all from um, whatever it's called, Winking Owl from Aldi, right? You're not going to do that. But that is what this fool had done. It was a waste. But is it? It's giving us an insight into God's love. Because this is exactly how the devil considers our, uh, our life in Christ. This is how the devil looks at the works that Jesus does. Satan sees all the miracles. He's studied all the miracles far more than any one of us has. And he sees all that Jesus suffers in the time that Jesus suffers it. In fact, the devil is the one that contributes to it, right? We talked about that just briefly last week. Devil is the one that tempts Jesus, tries to get him to depart the course. The devil watches how much he's hated, even by the people that were supposed to receive him, who were supposed to be longing for him. The devil watches it all, and, and he looks at Jesus in this way, and he says, just, just like that master of the feast, why are you wasting your time with this people? They don't want you. They're never going to appreciate what you're bringing out right now. They're never going to fully taste the goodness that you are trying to give them at this point. You are just a fool, the devil would say of Christ, to waste his goodness on them. You know, it would be as to, what is the purpose of all of that? The devil wants your life. He seeks your life. The devil wishes for Christ to hand you over to him, to let his goodness fail. But it's not going to happen. None of us are ever going to have this perfect love for God. We're not going to have it here in this life. We're still drinking from the poor wine of the world. And so our taste buds are quite soiled. We think that what we have is good or at least good enough. And the wine that we bring to the party is that stuff that we think we can enjoy here. It's not the best wine. In fact, if you want to compare standards, maybe we could say the, the stuff that we enjoy or the wine that we enjoy and bring to the party is maybe an equivalent of vinegar and gall compared to the wine that Christ brings. The wine that God brings is the wine that gladdens men's hearts. It's the wine that turns his disciples to believe in him because they see his goodness and the gracious love of God. But God's love is the sweetest. It is like nothing we can ever quite fully taste yet. Even as we speak about the Lord's Supper, right? We say this is the foretaste of the feast to come. A foretaste. And yet it tastes so good to go to the Lord's Supper and say, Lord, I, I believe, grant to me the forgiveness of my sins and life and salvation which follows. And we leave, or at least we, I hope you leave with that smile on your face to believe that you are a child redeemed by God. The sweetest love that God gives is in feeding on the word of God. 
It's never so sweet as the day when you are struggling and then finally you get the word of God in your ears and it doesn't just stay up here in your mind, but it goes to your heart and it goes to your whole body and you feel the relief of God's love. Because you're not in the devil's hand. You're in Christ's hand. And Christ is gracious and abundant in his love. As I said, God's love is the sweetest and most abundant love. Even though Jesus says that his hour has not yet come, he still is gracious. All of Jesus' miracles come at a cost, which is what we don't consider all the time. But it's a reversal of creation. So when he heals the sick and the dying or casts out demons and such, it's a reversal of creation. The same thing goes with preparing the best of wines. The reversal of creation, it comes by his death, right? He is undoing sin by dying for sin. He is undoing death's hold by rising from the dead. He is opening the way for us. But we have to understand that. That his hour had not yet come. The crucifixion had not yet been here. This is why Christ came. So that whatever is good here at the wedding. Whatever is good in the miracles of healing. Whatever is good in the forgiveness of your sins. Will be lasting. Lasting into eternity. Creation isn't and cannot be restored. Unless Christ is crucified. Every sickness becomes his own, every sin becomes his, and he restores to man the goodness of things which we were robbed of because of sin. So, we've come to know the love of God. You've gotten this far. You've come to the Father through the all-availing sacrifice of Jesus. You are before God on your knees in prayer, but let me tell you this. Do not doubt, but firmly believe that God hears you. You can come with no greater confidence than to come in the love of Christ. He is your confidence. He is your hope. You can ask of the Father anything. So ask. Come to the Lord with firm faith. And while you are asking, or before you ask, or after you find that you have finished your prayers in Christ's name, the devil will try to make you doubt that God had time or cared about your request. So consider again the abundance of God's love. Because the answer you want may not be the answer the Lord sends. It may not be in the time that you wish for it to happen. Your loved ones may not fully recover, You may have to go a while with a little less than what you had planned on. But in all of these trials, in all of these tribulations, in all of the suffering that you have on this earth, you should not doubt that God loves and that he loves abundantly in Christ. He will provide. The devil will not. The devil desires your life to end. But see that the devil could not wrest it from Jesus' hands. For Jesus knew that when he was dying for a people who could not love him as much as he loved him, that he was doing so completely.
completely because he loves wholly. He knew that there would always be a people who would not return in thankfulness and praise, but yet he died for a remnant. And that didn't deter him. It didn't deter him from suffering one bit. So do not let Satan deceive you into turning away from the love of Jesus and the abundance of that love which he gives to you. Do not be deceived in the things of this world. They are not as good and they do not taste as good as what God has prepared for you in eternity. So do not waste your time chasing after them. Be in the Lord. Be present in the Lord's word and in the grace that he offers in this place and in the places where his word is faithfully preached and his sacraments rightly administered. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.